Blog Talk Radio. Happy, happy, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there and the grandmoms and anybody who is is raising a child, whether they're your biological child or not. We so appreciate you, and it's your work that that, it really helps to shape and influence things. So thank you very, very much, and I hope you have a wonderful, not only Mother's Day on tomorrow, but you have a wonderful weekend. Uh, So I wish you the the best, and we want to thank you for joining us here at Off the Shop off the shelf at Block Talk Radio for this Saturday, May the 9th. It is just wonderful having you here, and there's still time. We have a fabulous guest in store for you today, and over the years, we've had some phenomenal guests come on off the shelf, and I say some of them have gone on to have a strong national and international presence. We've had some guests who've gone on to have regional television shows and One's been on CNN, and one is on TV One right now. So some of our guests have gone on to do fabulous and phenomenal things, and we have another awesome guest for you. And there's still time if you want to tell your friends and your relatives and colleagues, book lovers everywhere, they can dial into today's show by just dialing 347-994-3490. And, again, that's 347-994-3490, or they can – hook up with us in the chat room, and they get to Off the Shelf Online, you can just tell them to look for Denise Turney Off the Shelf, and it should come up at the very top in an online search, and they can click on that link and then go into the chat room. So, again, 347-994-3490, or you can log in via the chat room online on your landline phone, mobile device, computer, laptop. It doesn't matter. You can connect to the show now, and I encourage you to do that. Now, to kick off today's show, I'm going to focus. I started doing this last weekend. We had another Claudia Moss, and I just so enjoy her. You can you can listen to her show and other shows, including this today's show in the archives. But I started last week to kick off with a pertinent topic that was connected with my latest book, Love for Over Me, that I want as a topic that really is a real-life topic. I wanted to get people to thinking about. And today's kickoff topic is college romances, and that's something that happens in Love Pull Over Me. Now, college is a time when many of us experience our very first romance, or you, some people call it the first love. And according to statistics, by the senior year, 72% of college students, they hook up with somebody, whether it's short-term or long-term, 32.5% of these College relationships are long distance. Could be somebody that they met when they were in high school and they're still keeping together. And this keeping in with the fact that most college students prefer casual relationships. Why? They want to focus on their studies. But check this out. Campus Explorer also says that a whopping one in four college students has an STD. And that's not that's a stat that's not good. That's all that's a quarter of college students, and that's all the more reason why you, just like Raymond does and Love for Over Me, you need to take your time when you think about pursuing a relationship, whether you're in college or not, but especially if you're hooking up in college. And it's all the more reason for parents to encourage their children to think long and hard before they step into a serious relationship while they're in college. And, again, this is something that, is pertinent to love pull over me. Fortunately for Raymond, 
his college relationship goes way beyond casual. It does cause him great pain as do some of his a friendship he has, but he learns a lot, and it has a happy, happy ending. Uh, so I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. You can get a copy at any bookstore. It's an ebook in print, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, ebookit.com, ebook and in print. If you don't see it on the shelves, just ask the clerk for it. So you want to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. They can order you a special copy because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And now, let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And our special guest today is Dion Pert. Now, Dion is a law student. And I say go, Dion, because law is not easy. She is a passionate <laughs> book reader and writer off the shelf. And currently, she's a resident of Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And Dion is also the author of Somerset Grove. I love that title. And she's the author of <laughs> Butterfly. And that's another great title. You can check Dion Pert Thank out you. online at www, which I don't even know why I keep saying this because you don't need to put this in the Internet anymore. It's DionPert.com, and I'll spell it for you. You can go over there now. Even as you listen to today's interview, you can learn more about her, read her book excerpts at our website, even as you listen to her interview. And I'll spell it, D-I-O-N as in Nancy, N-N-E-P-E-A-R-T.com, D-I-O-N-N-E-P-E-A-R-T as in Tom.com, Dion Pert, Pert with a T.com. She has a really nice website. I got to tell you her layout when I went over there to research for today's show. It's unique. It's very open. I like it. So I think you'll really enjoy visiting Dion there, our special guest here today. Again, remember, remember, you might want to bookmark it, DionPert.com, DionPert.com. Welcome off the shelf, Dion. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. It, we're so delighted, our listeners, to have you here, and, and I am to have you here with us, whether people are tuning in live right now or they tune in, as so many do, through the archives. I know you were born to start. I'd like to give our listeners some backstory on our guest. So to begin, I know you were okay. born in England. Right. And I wanted to ask you, you're now in the United States, and we've had several guests on who were born in Jamaica or another country. Were one or both of your parents in the military or involved in government work? Curious to know how you got from Jamaica to England where you were born. <laughs> well, my parents um, my parents are both from Jamaica, and um, so J- Jamaica is a Commonwealth country, and a lot of um, young people – when they're about to get go into high school, actually would go to England to finish, either to go to um, teaching college or run a trade or go to nursing school, something like that. So both of my parents, um, separately, they didn't know each other in Jamaica, uh, moved to England in their teens. I think my, my dad was 16 and my mom was 15. And they met several years later and, um, and then got married. And we ended up in Canada, um, shortly after I was born uh, because Canada also was a Commonwealth country and they were trying to build up the population. So 
there was a lot of Caribbean people that were going um, to England and also to Canada. Oh, interesting. See, you always learn something from <laughs> the get, I guess. I always learn something, which is another reason why I love doing uh, off the shelf. What was like life? What was life like for you in Canada? I always imagine it's a lot like the United States. But you said you right soon after you were born, your parents moved to Canada. What was that like for mm-hmm. you living there? Um, so I grew up in in a city called Winnipeg. It's a it's about mm, about six hundred fifty thousand people. It's in central Canada, so it's right above North Dakota. Um, it was a very diverse city because, um, as I mentioned, they were trying to build up the population. So there were a lot of people from a lot of different ethnic groups, but not a lot of people in each ethnic group. So, um, so for me, it was while it was diverse, and my friends, we looked like a mini United Nations walking home from school every day. Um, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of kids that looked like me. <laughs> uh, okay. And so, um, so it was culturally rich. Um, but sometimes it felt a little bit um, isolated. But but overall, I think it was a good experience, and it was a great way for uh, me to learn about a lot of different cultures. Is it like the United States? Would you say it's very similar? I would say parts of it are. I, I think Winnipeg is very much like um, Minnesota, and that's where I moved to when I oh. um, when I started law school. Uh, Toronto, people say it's similar to New York. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And, and it was an easy transition for me because we have so much, you know, our media is similar, our, our um, you know, the things that we like are similar. But it, it, it is also a very unique uh, country as well. Okay. I appreciate you sharing that. i got to get up there. Now, we've got oh, other um, off. We've got other guests here on Off the Shelf who traveled a lot. I mean, one one guest was from Russia. Then he went to, I don't know if it was Spain and Italy and some other countries and into the United States. We've had people from Jamaica. We've had people who've traveled uh, from Africa, other parts of Europe, just globally. And they've all said that. So before I tell you what they said, I want to get your answer. Now they well the, they one thing they did say their travels, they said impacted their writing, that they they thought that having traveled extensively had impacted their writing. I wanted to ask you how has living in different countries, and then when you said you were in Canada trying to grow their diverse populations, you were around different people from different cultural backgrounds. How has that influenced mm-hmm. your writing? Uh, Rhonda, that's a really good question. Um, so for me, when I was growing up, um, as I mentioned, there wasn't a lot of each uh, particular ethnic group, although there was a, a lot of ethnic groups. The books that I read were all, um, you know, the written by and about the majority population. And so okay. I didn't actually read any, um, you know, black or Afri- African-American authors um, until I got to university. So, and then I discovered um, Toni Morrison, and I was just hooked at that point. Wow. So, yeah. And so I always wanted to, and Toni Morrison says if, the, if there's a book out there that hasn't, that you want to read that hasn't been written, then you have to write it. And mm. I wanted to write about characters that 
that looked like me that had my unique experience. And that's why um, I like characters that, um, you know, have Caribbean backgrounds, have Caribbean parents, or, or take place in the Caribbean. I, I'm really drawn to those stories. And when I read those stories, read um, fiction, I really like international authors. Um, so I think, yeah, and I really like, you know, I really like an escape. So, you know, you can always take a vacation, but you get into a book and you can experience a whole different culture in a way that you, you never would. Exactly, especially if the author is, like you say, from, and you learn so much. I read a book an author wrote, I think from, uh, was it, I want to say, was it Scotland or Poland or somewhere? I learned a lot about that culture, mm-hmm. and it was a novel. And I learned a lot about that mm-hmm. culture. Uh, Jamaica Kincaid, I've learned a lot about Jamaica through reading her work. Uh, you do mm-hmm. learn a lot from, from where the author is from. And I've written, I've read a, a book about a, from an author who was, the author is from Africa. She wrote a short story. Oh, my gosh. It's just a treat. <laughs> it's just delightful. Who, yeah. inspired, <laughs> who inspired you to start writing? You said you started reading. You were you. Most of the books you read were, I guess, the, the European culture, and then you go to college, and that's right. when you're introduced to Toni Morrison. I got I have to tip my hat to you because Toni Morrison, her work is hard for me to read, <laughs> so I have to tip my hat. But who who inspired you to start writing, and what impact does this person continue to have on your writing today? Wow. Um... That's a really great question. So, yeah, I started reading Toni Morrison and Alice Walker in in university, um, but I didn't start, I didn't really think about writing seriously until I was probably my mm, fifth or sixth year of, of practicing law. And, um, and I'd gotten away from reading books for pleasure because law school took up so much. Yes. Um, time and and everything was about reading case laws and statutes and and things like that. And then when I started practicing, it was the same thing. I was just focused on on reading case law and and treatises and, um, you know, writing long, (laughs) boring briefs. And so, um, but I, I, I made a conscious effort to get back into reading for pleasure and, I think one of the first books that I that I picked up was uh, Bernice McFadden's Sugar, and um, yeah, so I really liked I really liked the book, and I think that was when I really decided, you know what, I think I'd like to try writing a book. I didn't do it right away, but that I think that was the first book that I that I really thought that maybe that was something that I could really do, and so. I've read um, most of her books. I've attended her readings. I I saw her at the Hurston Wright um, Literary Awards last year, and she's always so graceful. And um, you know, she reaches out to people. She's um, down to earth, and she's always. If you go on her Facebook page, she's always. Um, I didn't know at the time, but she is. Um, she's has Caribbean heritage too, and so. She goes back to the Caribbean and posts pictures when she visits. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I really like her her style. It's um, it's literary, but but accessible at the same time. And so that's what I try to do with my writing. Wow, you're a pleasure to interview. I got to tell you. Now, when did you start writing Somerset? Oh. 
When did you start writing Somerset Grove? And can you tell us about the process you used to write the novel? Did you use an outline? Did you base it off of real life events? Mm-hmm. What was the process you used to create the novel? And can when did you start writing Somerset Grove? Uh, I started writing Somerset Grove in 2009. And so that yeah, that was my sixth year of practice. And I started kind of playing around with a couple of short stories. And then I decided I'm going to just dive into this novel. And I knew that I wanted to write in multi-generational books. So uh, the first character that you meet in the book is Angelique. Um, and she's a 16-year-old, savvy type of, of um, teenager from a small town. And so the line came to me, um, the thought crossed her mind to run. And that's the first line in the book. Um, and from there, um, I didn't do an outline. I kind of just knew, I kind of knew that it was going to be three generations. I knew that um, Angelique was going to be the first character that we, you would meet and that um, actually her daughter would be the second one um, that you would meet. But after that, I didn't have um, any outline, and and part of it was because when I would do legal writing, I had to outline everything, and everything goes (laughs) in a certain format. You have your facts, you put in the issue, you put in the rule of law, and then you do your analysis and conclusion. So it was always very formulaic. And I was excited to do the fiction writing because, you know, there is no there is no right or wrong way to write the story that you want to write. So uh, it was actually, so, at, you know, the first 20,000 pages, uh, 20,000 words, sorry, it was great because I had no, I, thought, I have no roadmap. I can do whatever I want with it. Mm. But then I got stuck. Um, ah. Because the, so I go back and I would edit the first 20,000 words over mm-hmm. and over again. And I got, I'm like, oh, well, how do I push it forward? Um, and so I ended up going to a, um, uh, a writer's conference. It was a Black Writers and Reunion conference and met so many wonderful authors and editors and um, attended a, a lot of uh, wonderful seminars. And they basically said, you know, just write. So just get it out and you can always go back and edit it later. So that's what I did. I started writing. Um, and I actually got about, I think, two-thirds of the way through. And I'd gotten into, I'd gotten Angelique's story fleshed out. I got Carmen's story all fleshed out. And then I said, you know, it's kind of late to bring in a new character. So I actually went back um, because Angelique's mother, Ruby, um, was always in the background, but she was kind of screaming to be a main character. And so... Uh, I decided to make her a main character too, and so I went back to the beginning, and we wow to the book. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's the first I ever heard of somebody doing that. <laughs> oh my god, I would have told her, honey, you guys, you're gonna show up in the sequel. <laughs> oh my goodness! Now I have to before we go said, a no. little deep deeper in it. Oh, that's work. Before we go deeper in the Somerset Grove, I wanted to ask you. Who designed the cover? Because I love the book's cover. Who designed the cover for Somerset Grove? Oh, thank you. It's a woman named Shayla Abdullah, and she is in um, she is in Texas. And um, 
you know, I and her company is called House of Design. And it's funny because I looked for a long time for uh, a cover designer, and, and the the difficulty the difficulty is, and the and the, the nice thing about self publishing is that you you can pick your cover. You don't have to be stuck mm-hmm. with something that you just totally hate. It's going to sell your book. Um, so I I looked around a long time for it because I knew I wanted something more like art, um, but someone with the right feel and. I I um I was on a listserv for a um a woman who puts out you know um, articles about writing and and publishing and things like that, and at the bottom of the newsletter was um, Shayla's ad, and she had um, I clicked on it, and she had several different types of book covers on there, and I think there was like three or four that I said, wow, I really like those, so I. Contacted her and and that's that's how it all started. She did a wonderful job. Um, I mean, when I opened up the file the first time, I was kind of nervous because I didn't know what I was going to get, and it was perfect. Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah, that, that's a mm-hmm. nice surprise. And in in, in, mm-hmm. in your first book, it means so much to you. Now, can you tell us about the Wright family? You you just you sort of touched in on some of the characters, Angelique, and you went back and put the mother in the story after she, you know, people a lot of people don't realize, but the the characters will speak to you. But can you tell us about the Wright family? Where does their where do their roots spring from? We know the Caribbean. <laughs> you like to go back to the Caribbean. Who and who are some of the characters? I'm asking you a couple of questions. If you could tell us about the Wright family, where the, their roots come from, and then I'll ask you the next question later. Let me let you answer that first. <laughs> the, the real family or the the, the fictional? The Wright. Um, <laughs> the right Somerset Grove. So they, oh, is it based off of a? Yeah. Is it based off? Oh, interesting. No, and it's funny because a lot of people a lot of people ask me that: is it a real family? And they're influenced by um, people that I've I've known or met um, in my life. Oh, so Yeah. Okay. So um, Somerset Grove is a fictional town in Jamaica, and um, the Wright family in the story is, um, they're a middle-class family for the town, mm-hmm. but not on a larger scale. So, um you know they 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 think they're they're higher up than they are because actually when they get to the bigger cities, um, um, and Angelique travels to Kingston, she realizes her family isn't as um, isn't as sophisticated as she they thought, would have yeah. us believe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So um, so uh, Byron came to me a little bit. Byron, who is who's Angelique's father in the story came to me a little mm-hmm. bit after I, I created um, Ruby, her mother. And um, so he's a little bit older than Ruby, but the very, the, the, the nicest guy. And um, people really love him because oh. a lot of guys, a lot of guys get, you know, they get a bad rap in, in books. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. they're always the villain and he was always so how, the, the nice supportive guy. How is, how are her parents? Are they like in their Forties, fifties, retired, retired. Uh, they would have been born, and so so. Um, Ruby's story begins um, in 1949, but she's about 18. So at the time, she oh, was, you go back you in know, time. 
Yeah, so she was born, you know, in the in the late um in the thirties. And um Angelique was born in the in um Angelique is sixteen and it's nineteen sixty seven. So she's born she's an early sixties baby. Um so that's that's a historical piece, and then and Byron, her father, is a little bit older. So um, they're what we would call members of the greatest generation, or the octogenarians, or, and um, uh, and Angelique would be kind of just at the the end of the uh, the baby boomer era. Okay, okay, okay. Now, who are some of the characters who fill the leader roles in the book? And who are those who are just an absolute challenge? I mean, they are just, they are creating chaos, it seems. And, you know, in real life, it feels like sometimes people feel feel rose because they just keep, mm-hmm. they just keep doing the same, like following the same script. Some people manage mm-hmm. things. Some people are like mediators. Some people cause chaos. They all—it's just something mm-hmm. going on with them all the time. It's like they're following a script. So, who who are the people <laughs> in Somerset Grove who are like leaders or managing things? And and like the African American culture, sometimes it's like the grandmother. They're just keeping everything pulled mm-hmm. together. And who are the people who are <laughs> just a challenge? <laughs> <laughs> well, the 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 three main characters are. Um, Angelique, uh, who's the who's in the middle generation, Carmen, who is her daughter, and Ruby, who is Angelique's mother or the grandmother. And so the story starts out with Angelique, but um, Ruby is is really the matriarch of the family, and Ruby um, was hurt very on in her in her story um, by her first husband, and um, oh. so. She's very prideful, and her main goal is to not let anyone look down on her family, not or not give anyone a reason to look down on her family. And so she's very um, protective and prideful, and that actually kind of gets in the way of her relationship with her with her daughter and granddaughter because she's not as um, open or easy to to talk with. Uh, she's really just concerned about them not making the mistakes that she made, but she doesn't explain why. Um, all they know is that she's very tough on them. Um, and so it, it, it's interesting because she kind of evolves as the story goes along. And she, at first, is a character that people don't like because she's such a strict mother. But as people get to know her and as, as she grows and changes in the book, uh, people really start to 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 like her. Angelique is the the first character that you meet, and she's the the second generation character. She is uh, rebellious, uh, mm. partly because her and and a lot of it is because her mother is so much the type of woman that has a thumb on her, and she wants to kind of break free from that. Um, she's got a twin brother who can really pretty much do what he wants, and and it's frustrating for her because he can do whatever he wants, but she's under her mother's thumb. So, um, so she um, she's also prideful. Um, she's savvy, but not always. Um, I think she would like to be the more sophisticated um, 
you know, um, worldly type of, of girl, but she keeps running into challenges. So she's not the smartest girl in school, but she would like to believe that. She's not the most sophisticated, but she would like to believe that. And so that's, mm. that's her challenge and her, her struggle. And she got that, she got that from um, her mother. She got that mm-hmm. from her mother, from what she's explained. That's easy yeah. to, to see. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. and then Miss Carmen, yeah. are they the, are they all like the only? Oh no, you said Angelique had a brother. Okay, so and then Miss Carmen, mm-hmm. what's, what's Carmen she like? is <laughs> Carmen is is Angelique's daughter, and she is. Um, people have found she's the most relatable character because she's a first generation um, Canadian Jamaican. So she goes. She eventually moves to Canada with her mom. And um, so she's the one that goes to, you know, she's the first one to go to university. She's um, headstrong and independent, and she's going to do things the right way, and she's going to do them on her own. Um, She doesn't have close relationships with either her mother or her grandmother. Wow. Um, But you get the feeling that she would want want that if they were open to it, but she does not feel that her, her mother and grandmother are are open to it. So she's kind of mm. closed off and really focused on her on her own success and she kinda has a wall up around her so it's hard to to, to get to her. Wow. Very interesting characters. Yeah. And we see how and I'm I, I Thank you. and you t- do you touch on what happens to Ruby to cause her to nobody's gonna bring me an embarrassment. Do you touch on that in the novel? So people can see what's motivating mm-hmm. her behavior. Oh, you do. Yes. And so in the first, yeah, you, yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, so it, it, sorry, in the first chapter, you meet um, Angelique, and uh, so it's told from Angelique's per- perspective, and you meet her mother, and um, she's very, you know, she's kind of very judgmental and. Um, you know, wanting to make sure that Angelique's not getting into trouble. And so people are really put off by her in the beginning. But in the next chapter, you find out why she is the way she is. And it's, mm. it was a very, she had a very isolated life. And, you know, the one time that she let someone in her circle, uh, she got her. Oh, you know what? It, mm. it, it, and that's something I do appreciate about, a novel or an autobiography because we are quick to judge, but then when you you hear somebody's backstory, you you're like, oh, I get it now, mm-hmm. and then hopefully mm-hmm. we stop judging and we start understanding and loving. Now, what's happening? I love how you said you open with the first line in the book. What's happening in these women's lives at the start? Ru- Ruby's introduced, you say, and then. People are keep they're put off by her, and then you let them know why mm-hmm. she's like this. But uh, do you start just with Ruby, and how old is she at the very start of the book? And are Angelique and Carmen, are they both born yet at the start of the book? Um, so at the start of the book, I actually start with Angelique's story, and so we've kind of come into the middle of where they are. Uh, so Angelique is is 16 at the time, and um, so she's coming. She's been away at boarding school in Jamaica, and she's coming home. And um, it's, it's Christmas holidays. She's gotten herself into a little trouble at school, and 
so at the time when she's contemplating the the first line of the book is the thought crossed her mind to run. She would rather run ah. than have to face her mother and tell her what she's what trouble she's gotten herself into. Mm. Um, and so there's a there's a conflict between Angelique and her mother, and then we jump to her mother's story, and then you find out why what Angelique and it, it's pretty easy to tell in the beginning of the book. Angelique has gotten herself pregnant, and mm-hmm. When you jump to her mother's story, you find out why this yeah. is such a uh, crushing blow for her mother and why she reacts the way that she did. You know what? I have to tell you, as a parent uh, and, and as, you know, an adult child, there are things that even in my own life I'm like, I, my child's not going to do that or I'm not going to do this. There, mm-hmm. you, you, We are so influenced by our ancestors, <laughs> even in ways we cannot <laughs> imagine. Because you'll hear people say, you know, your mother did that or your grandmother or somebody three, four generations back. You're like, oh, my God, like, can you ever outrun this stuff? So it's funny that you start the book, she decided to run, but where is she going to run to? Where are you going to go? <laughs> I wanted to ask you, you have such, your characters are so sound so fleshed out. How do they, we, we know what's driving Ruby and then Angelique, they're influenced by it. It seems like Carmen and Angelique in different ways are trying to get away from Ruby's constraints and mm-hmm. her fears that this this pain will happen to her again. But how do they have to be ways, though, that they complement each other? So how are, what are some ways they complement each other or strengthen each other, and how do they conflict with each other? They, they complement each other in uh, – the, so they all have – uh, pride is a very is a common theme for them. They're all very um, prideful, and um, so they're going to church on Sunday. And Ruby is pressed and very conservative looking, and Angelique, you know, she's very pressed and she's got her hat on. And um, um, they also relate in terms of of culture and and food and and how that's important to them. And there's a lot of <laughs> um, people have told me that, you know, they felt like taking a trip to Jamaica afterwards because there was a lot of, of talk about food and, and um, you know, how they celebrate and how they just come together as a family and, and you know, all of the normal things that they go through as, um, as just, just a regular family, how meals are important, how going to church together are important. Um, the way they conflict um, is Angelique, you know what? Actually, what is another thing that is similar is 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 Ruby also planned to leave Jamaica when she was young, ah. and that was part of her heartbreak because um, she was supposed to leave and um, was essentially abandoned, and so things didn't happen the way that she had planned to, oh, yeah. and so mm-hmm. she kind of just made the best of her life as it as it as it was, and so they have, all have that that. Um, that thing in common, and I brought that in because a lot of, as I said, my, how my parents left Jamaica, a lot of um, Jamaicans left when they were in their teens or early 20s. So, you know, all my, my, my sister, my mom's sister left before her. Um, my dad's younger brother left after him, and they all moved to um, England. And so it was a very common thing to move to another country when you were in your teens. 
Mm-hmm. Now, is there a love interest in, uh, for any other women? Any of these three women, is there a love interest as the story mm-hmm. unfolds and mm-hmm. Somerset grows? Ruby, Ruby uh, remarries, and that's, that's um, Angelique's father. Angelique probably has the most in terms of, of love interest. And, and because she's savvy but not as book smart as she thinks or wants to be, that she starts to rely on her um, her looks. And, um, you know, she's very exotic looking. And so she kind of relies mm. on that to, to move ahead. Um, and she kind of learns much further on in the book, and some say too late, that that's, she could have done things differently. Um, so mm. she has a number of, of love interests. She has Carmen's father, who turns out to be exactly who he, he is, but not who she wanted him to be. Um, oh. She meets an accountant who is a very nice guy, but um, probably too nice for her. And then she, really? she needs a couple of other, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, she, she wants so a, she wants a she wants a project or a guy who's a little troubled and <laughs> well, I think I I think he wanted to rescue her and I think she really didn't want to be oh, uh, okay. rescued by by him. He's yeah, he's he, I, she didn't want a full thug, but someone a little bit stronger than than this guy. Oh, and so okay. it doesn't work out. And then there's two other men that come in to her life who uh the men you probably wouldn't want your daughter to um oh. be like particularly the last one um so it's a big thing for her um Carmen has a little a little fling with with a with the boy she knew when she goes back to Jamaica to visit um but her main focus is herself okay it's a, yeah Okay. Does the title Somerset Grove does that hold any special meaning? I know you said it's about a town in Jamaica, but is it does it hold any special meaning? How did you come up with that title? Um, it's a it's a fictional town, and I decided to do a fictional town because there's some things in the book that um, are not pleasant, and so I didn't want to. I think Jamaicans as a, as a whole are, can, can be very prideful. And so at the time I was thinking, I don't want anyone coming to me and saying that would never happen in my town. So, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> okay. so I made up a fictional town, although uh, it's influenced by when I go and visit, um, like there's certain scenes walking down a certain road and you see, you know, uh, Mrs. Davies bakery shop on the right and the roadside bar, you know, down the street. Um, so there were certain towns that I kind of pictured when I um, when I put them into the into Somerset Grove. Um, a lot of Jamaican towns are named after English um, cities and towns, and so I took Somerset, England, and put it into you know Somerset, Jamaica. And Grove came from there's there's a place called Spice Grove in Jamaica, and so I just put Somerset and Grove together, and that's where the name of the town came from. What? It sounds like anybody who really wants to know more about Jamaica, this is, it sounds like you have, like you said, the food and the culture and the book, and then the uh, the characters sound so well developed. Now, this is, Somerset Grove is your first novel. Can you tell mm-hmm. us what did you learn while writing Somerset Grove 
that you applied while you wrote your second novel, Butterfly? Um, what I learned, so I guess I think there were two main lessons. The first thing was I, I've tried outlining in Butterfly, and that book took me a lot less time to write. Um, ah. Somerset, Somerset Grove took me two and a half years to write. Um, part of it was um, because I'm still in full-time practice, and so I do my writing in the morning before I get to to work. And so that's part of the reason why it took me such a long time to to get through. Um, and part of it was because I just wanted the story to just unfold the way it wanted to unfold. Mm-hmm. Um, Butterfly, I tried outlining that one, and it, it helped guide me a lot more when I was developing um, – the story. So I think that's what I learned from that's what I learned from from writing Somerset Grove. Um, and so, a, but the third book that I'm go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, the third, so book, the third book I'm writing on, I made a really extensive outline, and I'm going to see how that goes because um, I want to still be free to kind of move along, but I'll see how true I am to the outline when I get through the book. <laughs> Yeah, you probably end up maybe having to veer off a little bit, but yeah, I've heard people say outlines work, and I've tried character sketches, but you also want to mm-hmm. let it develop organically, so you don't want to feel too right. tied into an outline. I understand that. Is there a single message mm-hmm. before we start talking about butterfly? Is there a single message that you want readers to take away from reading Somerset Grove? Um. Somerset Grove was a story, so I think I mentioned the biggest challenge that they had was communicating with each other, and and their pride got in the way of that. And it's significant, and and actually thank you for doing this show on Mother's Day weekend, uh, because in that story they didn't communicate and they didn't really know each other the way that um, I think mothers and daughters should know each other. So um, this is a story that kind of encourages getting to know, to, to really know who the people are, not just as mother, grandmother, daughter, but as people. And mm. I think if, in the story, if they'd gotten to know each other mm. as people, they would be more understanding of what was going on and why, why they reacted to each other the way that they did. Wow. I know my Aunt Pat said that once. She said, you know, there's some people I'm Aunt Pat to my daughter and mommy my husband, I'm a you know, wife, but mm-hmm. if you, she said, you know, to, to be freed up so somebody just really sees you as who you are, and it's just very powerful that you said that if ch- adult children looked at their parents as just, they, yeah, you are, they're your parent, but to see them as a person, the struggles they've gone through, the challenges they face, what made them be the way they mm-hmm. are instead of, they're my parent, they're supposed to be perfect, but to see how, mm-hmm. how did they got to be the way they are, I think it does help us to understand and love each other more. Because we all have understanding mm-hmm. and room for rationalization for ourselves because we know how we got to where we are, but we don't often take the time to see that in other people. Now, what, what have readers been saying about Somerset Grove? Uh, they've been saying, that's my family. That's me. Ah, Did you write that character wow. about me? Um, wow. And it's it's interesting because I'm getting it from not just from people with 
Jamaican or, or Caribbean heritage, but um, a lot of people from a lot of different um, races and cultural backgrounds can relate to the characters um, because it's, wow. there are some real things that they, they go through that are um, common no matter where you are or where you come from. So a lot yes. of people can see themselves in the story. Now, Butterfly is your new book. How soon after you put Somerset Grove down, you're, right, you're writing on your third now, but how soon after you finished mm-hmm. Somerset Grove and it was published, did you start writing Butterfly? That is an interesting um, question, Rhonda. So I started, Butterfly actually should have been um, my third book. And and probably, I actually hadn't planned on writing that one at all. Um, so during the editing phase of Somerset Grove, I I put the book down and I gave it to you know I gave it to my editor and I was gonna not gonna touch it for at least a month so that I could look at it with fresh eyes. And I started writing another novel, uh, which is called Black Heart Man, and. Um, I was writing it on my netbook, and sometimes I would go to a, you know, I go, I like to write at coffee shops, and I would go to different coffee shops to write, and I was saving the story on a flash drive, and I lost the flash drive, and I'd gotten about 20,000 words into that, into oh. that book, so I was just devastated. I looked everywhere. I tore up my car, oh. my house. Um, I went to all the coffee shops that I've been to. <laughs> Have you seen this flash drive? <laughs> and oh <my> um, <laughs> it was lost. So, so probably a couple of weeks later, I started trying to write it again. And you know, as a writer, once you once you settle on the way that you want your words to come out, it's hard to replicate them. Yes. Um, yes. And so, yes. yeah. So I started, I tried several times to to get it. And I, you know, I had the very first scene, um, but I couldn't get any further than that. And, and even when I knew, okay, this is part of the book where I had X happen and this is where Y happened, I could not describe it the same way. And so I got really frustrated with it. And um, I finally decided I'm going to put it down. And I tried to pick it up again and it didn't work. And so I just put it down. Um, and then Butterfly came to me. And so I started writing it probably about a year after after I'd finished Somerset Grove. Mm-hmm. And it took me about a year to, to write that one. So it was, it actually kind of, um, a totally different book than, than Somerset Grove and very different from from Blackheart Man, and it's more of a kind of a summary beach read type of book. But it saved me from quitting altogether because I was just heartbroken wow. over the second book. Yeah, yeah. And wow. So I Can totally you give needed a... to leave. Wow. <laughs> Can you give our off the shelf listeners a synopsis or an overview of Butterfly? Sure. So. Um, Butterfly is a story about um, a first-generation African-American woman, uh, Sydney Lincoln, who is an attorney 
who is in the middle of personal and professional transition. She's not happy with her law firm practice. She's kind of second-guessing her choice of becoming an attorney. And so she decides to make some changes in her life, including um, – so she, she goes into uh, – she goes to the U.S. Attorney's Office to become a prosecutor, um, leaving her private civil litigation practice. At the same time, she's having challenges with a friendship that she has with um, her best friend since high school, who has always been successful and things seem to always just happen well for her friend, um, Lauren. Um, everything falls into place for Lauren. She's, you know, she's tall, she's beautiful, and she's, her career is just, is, you know, thriving and off the charts, but she never has to work. She doesn't have to work hard, half as hard as Sydney. Um, and so there's some there's some conflict as Sydney's life starts to come together. Her relationship with her best friend Lauren starts to fall apart. Mm. And um, yeah, and so as Sydney starts to develop into the, the person that she wants to be, um, she actually learns something about Lauren that could derail her practice and their friendship. Wow. Wow. Now, this thing about Lauren, without giving it away, uh, the story away, is it something that has been going on for a while, or did it just recently occur? Uh, it was something that Lauren has been into for for a while. Um, wow. Sydney just didn't, Sydney, didn't know Sydney about just, it. Didn't, wow, and they were best friends. Isn't it something? She had no clue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> and so it's obviously if it's going to threaten her career, it's something pretty, pretty serious. Mm-hmm. Now, where did where did you get the ideal and the inspiration for Butterfly? So, um, as as an attorney, um, I bet, and especially when I started writing, I found out that a lot of my colleagues weren't happy with. Their choice. They were kind of swept along. That was a thing to do after you finished university. What are you going to do? Mm, I'm going to go to law school. Um, really? What kind of law are you going to practice? Mm, yeah, everyone goes to the. You know, they have they have on campus interviews. Um, your really? second year, the beginning of your second year of law school, and so everyone says, "Well, I have to go." You know, I got to go fight to be at the big firms because that's what everyone does, and all the big firms are coming to um, to recruit. So that must be the way my career is supposed to go. And so people kind of, we go along on these paths. And, and then um, as I started writing and telling people that I was writing, they're like, you know what? I really want to, I really want to write. I really want to open my own restaurant. I really want to open a vitamin shop. Um, and so it was funny, all these things came out where people really hadn't pursued their dreams. Um, they had these great careers that people, you know, people envy, people praise them for, but they weren't really happy. And so, wow, that is all amazing. of those kind of experiences, kind of, mm-hmm. so all those kind of experiences and, and different stories kind of um, uh, influenced who Sydney was. And Lauren actually, yeah, <laughs> you can see I'm amazed. Because all the years you put in, and I've heard people say that, oh, my God, that's just, mm-hmm. that, that you, you're you like, they're just kind of swept along. You're like, this is what I should do. Or some people just follow their parents' career. 
or what their parent mm-hmm. wants them to do. And then at the end, they're like, <laughs> but I always wanted to own a bakery. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Yes. It's, it's, it says, is amazing that we just, yeah, we never really, I don't think we're actually really encouraged, or most people aren't encouraged to, to go for the career that will, that makes them happy. And from there, you'll you'll get the money and things like that. I think people are encouraged to go into certain careers because this is a great job. Yes. Um, yeah. That, I and like so it was strange for me that. actually in law school. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was saying it, it, in law school, it was, it was strange to me at first when the classrooms in the first couple of weeks seemed overcrowded almost. And then a few weeks into the semester, it really thinned out, and you'd heard that so-and-so <laughs> dropped out. Um, what happened? We haven't even had an exam or anything yet. Why didn't you stick it out? And now I understand why they didn't stick it out. Ah, wow. Now, when did Butterfly come out? You just take on some very timeless things. Now, when did Butterfly come out? <laughs> and what have Pete readers been saying about Butterfly? Uh, it just came out. Last month, so just a few weeks oh, ago, actually. Oh, congratulations! Thank you, thank you. So, okay. um, people really, people really like it. Um, I, th- I think career women really like it because it kind of it speaks to them. Uh, for all those people that kind of got swept along by what their parents wanted them to do, um, some of them, you know. It's funny. Some of them kind of really picked up on the relationship between Sydney and Lauren, and and why Sydney was always it seemed to be in Lauren's shadow, and they were like, you know, mm. really frustrated with her. And it's mean, why are you letting your friend run over you like this? Um, and it was funny because you would think, looking at Sydney, that she has it all together. She's got a, you know, she's got a, she's an attorney. She's practicing. Um, she's handling cases be in anyone's shadow and, and really there's kind of the, the two sides of Sydney the one at work and the one that was you know Sydney after hours who was I love was your books I, oh my goodness <laughs> now are there plans to write a sequel to any of your books or are you like a one you just know that tell their story once and that's it or do you have are, are there any sequels in, in the works um, people have asked me to write a sequel to Somerset Grove, and I, when I finished mm. it, I thought I'm done with it, and that's it. So I haven't, I haven't put pen to paper on it yet. Um, there are a few other books that I have, kind of in in queue that I want to. There's actually two more that are in two different stages of writing, and the third one where I've kind of just got the idea going. So uh, I might do Somerset Grove, and I, I haven't written down anything, but I do have a couple of little twists that could come out of out of that book. So uh haven't decided but if I do I think I think I would have some fun with it. Okay. Now did you <laughs> you're you're a lawyer. Did you think mm-hmm. did you always think we've had some guests on who say they, they from a kid they knew and others not until they were adults. Did you always think you would mm-hmm. become a novelist? And if so, when you were a little girl, what did you dream about becoming? Hmm. That's a good question. So, um, the attorney thing didn't come up until the ninth grade when I was 
uh, we we taking these um, in Canada. I don't know if they do them in the U.S. But in Canada, they make you take these aptitude tests that kind of tell you what kind of career mm-hmm. you'd be mm-hmm. well suited for. And so I had attorney or English professor, and at the time, my mother kept telling people. Now, Dion's going to be a doctor when she grows up. And, and people would ask me that, are you going to be a doctor? And I would say, because I wanted to please them, yes, um, until until the ninth grade. And, and I remember sitting in the salon one day, and I was kind of annoyed for some reason. And my mom told somebody that I was going to be a doctor, and I thought I'd be rebellious. And I said, no. And she said, oh. And I said, yeah, I'm going to be a lawyer. <laughs> and she just went like it was nothing. Yes, so she's going to be a lawyer. And after that, she's going to be a judge. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So that was it. So I decided, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I used to love creative writing. used to be my favorite class in elementary school, but I um, didn't think about it as a career or or becoming a novelist, really, until until after law school. And I started, um, I'd been in practice for a few years. Okay. Before we go, and we are coming down to like with the last three minutes, uh, can you share a few tips with our listeners who may be writers themselves, small business owners, they they have a product or service that they can use or that you've used that's worked for you from a marketing perspective? From a marketing perspective, I think um, – Finding where your niche, your niche audience is. So, for me, I um, I actually sell a lot of books at um, not necessarily book festivals, but Caribbean festivals. Um, so, oh, finding okay. out where your your people are. If you have if you have a service or a product, I think going to where those where those people are. So, it may be that you give a talk at a, um, a you know, at a um, somebody's um, company about a topic mm-hmm. that's related to what you're selling or your or your writing, um, and I think that's that's really a way to reach and expand your audience. And also, of course, social media is just invaluable. <laughs> yes, going going to going to where your audience is, and that's what that's what the big firms do as well. They don't just go out to mm-hmm. any and everybody; they go to where their audience is. And you just keep your message in front of your audience uh, via social media, mm-hmm. press releases, interviews, public speaking, going out and, and, and being at events. That's a, those are very good marketing tips to share, and I thank you for sharing those here at Off the Shelf. We are down to the last minute. Off the Shelf listeners, we have just been delighted with Dion Pert, the author of Somerset Grove and Butterfly. And what's the title of your third one that you're working on, Dion? It's called Black Heart Man. Black Heart Man. Comes, <laughs> she comes up with these really mm-hmm. cool titles to our listeners. So out <laughs> on the market now, you guys, Somerset Grove and Butterfly. Butterfly <laughs> just came out a few weeks ago. You can visit Dion Pert online, D-I-O-N-N-E-P-E-A-R-T. Again, that's D-I-O-N-N-E-P-E-A-R-T. Dion Pert, she's the author, again, of Somerset Grove and Butterfly, which are on the market right now, which you can get and enjoy. And you see she takes on universal universal timeless themes, which anybody could enjoy. 
and, and learn from, not only being entertained, but enlightened as well. So we want to thank Dion for being here with us. We want to thank each of you, our off-the-shelf listeners, and wish you again a happy Mother's Day. I hope you go spend time with your mom. That's the best gift you can give your mom is just your love and your time on this Mother's Day weekend. I want to thank everybody for being here with us here at Off the Shelf. Please come back next Saturday and tell your colleagues, your friends, your relatives, everybody, tune in to Off the Shelf Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern Eastern Standard Time or New York City time, Saturday at 11 a.m. in the morning. If you enjoyed today's show, we have always brought awesome guests here. You don't want to miss Off the Shelf at 11 o'clock in the morning on Saturdays. So tell somebody to tune in again to Off the Shelf, 11 a.m. On, on Saturdays. As I always tell you, and I hope one day that I and you get this down in our systems. We are, You are so awesome. You are so amazing. You are incredible. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Thank you for being here. Bye for now. Please pick up a copy of Love Pour Over Me and Dion Pour. Pour Hurts again, Somerset Grove and Butterfly. Deanna, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Bye-bye.